you heard of this uh, software as a service, right? This web app, uh, SimpleNote. No. It's like I imagine it's a simplified version of Evernote. It's yeah, I mean it's super simplified. I mean I don't even like nowadays I think they do have additional some additional functionality, but it's really just like plain text, like not even rich text, like plain. It doesn't support anything. It's like plain text, like uh just you know you create a bunch of different individual notes right and i've been using this for a long time like in the days where like evernote was really like the big option but i used this specifically you know because i didn't really need to like attach images and all the other the things that evernote really provided i just wanted like an easy way to take quick notes and like make lists like i make i, I create lists for everything um like all the sans courses I've taken yeah. like for each of those, especially in the early days when I took more copious notes, uh, I have like, it's all in here. It's just like, you know, day one, like the name of the day. And then like, you know, each of the sections, like take notes, like tab out. Right. And like, so there's like, it's like, I'm organizing it based on just like white space more than like, it's not like head headings. And so like now, nowadays, I guess, like so crit was telling me about like notion which is like the hot thing now and now or now i think it's like obsidian like on your ipad but like there's all these like fancy like online note-taking things that are like the successors to yeah. evernote or whatever but i yeah, still use tried, note. yeah i've tried a bunch of them and i'm pretty sure i like now looking at the simple note website i'm pretty sure i've tried simple note at one point in time as well mm. Uh, and at the end of it all, I ended up just uh, defaulting to using VS Code or Notepad++. And then if I needed to sync it across systems, sync to a, commit to a private Git repo. Yeah, so I do have, I do have some things that I do in there, like... I would say my note taking system is kind of split into two big kind of umbrellas, like the simple note area and then exactly what you just said, which is just like plain text notes and other things that are, you know, scripts or whatever else that are done exactly in that way. Like my entire blog is built on GitHub pages. So it's all like markdown that I sync directly to the GitHub repo for the blog. I have all my, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like my commands, like my command, like shortcuts. Yeah. Right. Uh, are all like in plain text notes that I sync up to GitHub. And I just like, you know, I have it all in Atom. Right. So I'm just like command, like command shift effing, like across all of those different files to like find like the command that I'm looking for. Yeah. I mean, it just works so well and so easy. And you likely always have very quick access to some sort of uh, simplified ID of sorts that you're using to for whatever project you may be working on at that time. And I don't know. For me, it's always easy to like, I always like almost always have VS code running in the background. So it was just like a quick alt tab in. Yeah, I probably could switch to that completely, but I'm like so like used to simple note and, and my wife uses it. So like we have some shared notes for certain things. 
so I'm kind of just stuck on it. Plus, there's just like a lot of like casual lists I keep in there. Like, I don't know. Well, let me look through here. Random things. Like, I keep like a list of like all the certs in there. Because there's like reasons why I need to like copy and paste that somewhere. Or like, not that I couldn't have that in, in a, you know, private Git repo. Like all these things I probably could. But I don't know. It's a nice thing because there's, there's like an app for it on my phone. I mean, there's yeah. like, there's Git, like, you know, apps on my phone too, but. That doesn't work as well. It doesn't well. sync it. Yeah, it doesn't really work as well. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the true benefit of using something like Simple Notes, the mobile accessibility. Yeah, because I, yeah, I'll, I'll whip that out if I just need it, like a quick note about something. It's kind of my. But yeah. Anyways, enough about notes. With me on the podcast today, I have uh, my friend and former slash current coworker, uh, Mike. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. What are we gonna talk about? OWASP. Did, have you looked at Have you looked at the uh, like beyond? Like, I don't know how much like info like twittering you do. There was this like hilarious. I thought it was like in a nerdy way. Um, like somebody's so, like joke OWASP top ten. Did you see that? No, I, I haven't. You need to share that with me. I didn't see the chatter about it on InfoSec Twitter. I spend too much time, like, on my various feeds i spend just and it's kind of like a it's kind of like a tick i don't even know it's like i can't help it you know i'm looking at like i have a ton of rss like article like you know boutique security blogs that i follow right twitter which i keep relatively pared down but it's still a lot i mean still every time i look at it it's like there's a hundred new tweets and yeah. I look at each one, and I'm and I'm. You're kidding! How do you look at each one? I, well, okay. To, I, I won't say I like read and like I'm like it's like full comprehension for each one. It's like skim it all. Yeah, but I'm I'm scrolling like not full. I'm not like flying through them, right? I'm scrolling because there's a bunch of checks that I do, and this is part of the problem. This is why I spend too much time. You know, I'm look, namely, I'm looking at any of them that have like actual links back to like a blog I'm looking for, for two reasons. Yeah. One, uh, you know, if it's an interesting piece of research that some, you know, then, you know, especially if it's like something that's like really relevant, new, like, you know, CVE write up or something, I, I'll yeah. save it for, you know, to check out later. But secondarily, I've been compiling this like giant list of like boutique, like security blog or like security blogs in general. And like, adding them to this giant list that I have on, on my blog. I've like just now surpassed a thousand things, which is great. Like looking back at it, some of, a lot of those are like the majority of them are not commercial blogs. A lot of, most of them, like 80% of them are, you know, just like people who have like their own individual, like personal infosec blogs, which I think is really cool. But I spent a lot so of time. You, what's that? Do you have a way of like, tracking new posts across those blogs so there's well there's two things that i do so finding the blogs themselves i have actually i have an ios shortcut right so if i find a blog and i'm like do i already know about this blog i mm -hmm. have a, a shortcut 
like I have a Safari shortcut, right? That that links to an to a actual shortcuts like, uh, you know, logic or whatever that will uh, iterate through a note that I have in Apple Notes to see if that it like actually it like chops it down into like just look at the domain, right? And it says, do, yeah. does this domain exist in this note, right? So first thing, so first thing I'm doing is understanding: Do I already know about this blog, right? Secondarily, so it, it populates this note, and then from there, I later go into that note, and I'm adding the interesting blogs, mostly like the boutique, like personal blogs that have like, mm -hmm. that are like high value, low volume, and I add those to my RSS aggregator. Oh, and nice. then through RSS, I keep track of all new posts. So I'm Got like it. tracking blogs in one way, and I'm tracking new posts in another. But there's like a lot of interesting stuff that I've seen come out, I mean, as you would expect from like mostly, you know, there's like a ton of like, you know, professional pen testers and like reverse engineer, like, you know, exploit developer type people that I've follow their blogs, right? So yeah. a ton of really interesting write-ups as you would expect. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And in fact, I have a, though I haven't updated it, I have... This might be something you're, you're potentially interested in. I don't know if you do you use like RSS. Yeah, I do, but uh, I am oh, yeah, now looking for like Outlook or something. Yeah, which obviously Upsetting. doesn't work now that I've switched employers. So yeah, well, we could talk about RSS at some point, but in the in the um, in this particular thing where I've been like compiling this list of blogs, I've uh, and I need to go and do it because it's not an automated process. I've been sharing the OPML file from my RSS mm -hmm. reader so that other people could just import all the same RSS That's... feeds that I follow. And it's like hundreds and hundreds. But the, the cool thing about it is you think, you know, you don't want to inundate yourself with stuff, with crap. But the thing about this that's nice is that it's, you know, the ones that I follow are not the, you know, it's not threat post, right? It's these these high value low volume like boutique blogs that like post one thing a month right or one thing every couple yeah. months i think that's a really cool way to do it and honestly like as you're explaining it i was thinking to myself it is so nice of mike to have done this so like now i could just steal it from him well, exactly uh so i mean but the problem is and i'll tell you the, the problem with this is that despite i mean it is low volume even even at the scale of a thousand things, uh, mm -hmm. but even so, the the content is typically pretty dense in nature, highly technical. And, I'd expect so. You know, I mean, this is good stuff. This is stuff that, you know, people like these researchers have spent months and months on, or weeks on, or whatever it is, right? You know, coming up with this like cool blog post. So I end up seeing a lot of this stuff in Twitter or through my RSS feed and I save it to pocket, right? My read it later service. And yeah. as you would expect, I have like probably, I think I have like 1200 things in there now. So it's like a <laughs> giant backlog of things that, you know, I save, I save things faster than I go through them. Right. Which is the problem. Yeah. But there's been many cases where I'm like, like, you know, maybe I'm on a pen test or something and I'm, you know, thinking, you know, I, I see there's like, it's like OAuth involved and I'm like, Oh man, I, I remember because like, you know, the human brain, I'm like, I, you know, has indexed certain things, right? I'm like, oh, I remember saving this like cool, like 
you know, maybe cool attack path that, you know, somebody wrote about, right? So I, I go and I just search in pocket, right? Like OAuth and it pops up all the things I've said about OAuth. So that's like, that's the value of it is you can quickly find things that you thought were cool before, even if you don't have time to like fully ingest everything you save. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's what I was just thinking that like, oh, it's 1200 items, but yes, yeah, if it's searchable, then. Right, it's a library. So golden. Right, yeah. it's not like you have a library doesn't mean you have to read every book right just you have yeah. them as references even if it's just you pull pieces out and OAuth is a perfect example because i'm sure we're going to see more and more of that over time exactly it fits directly into uh which number is, one which is a great <laughs> yeah so, so so let's let's get into this so so i i kind of had this idea Right to talk about it just because I saw you know just because it's kind of interesting but I I saw this article yeah. and I meant to share it with you prior to this but I didn't but it was this article from NetSparker where okay. they're I guess they're kind of defending the new OWASP top ten in a way and and there's some you know some things that I I you know I mean this is just one person's take from NetSparker right but. Uh, one of the things they say in here is that the top 10 was never intended as a security testing checklist. Yeah. That's what it says. So like, let me start with like, what are your thoughts on that? Like that particular statement? You know, I, I thought I read somewhere years ago or a couple of years ago that they weren't going to renew or refresh the OWASP top 10. I actually remember because, you telling me that because of ASVS. Yeah, because ASVS is supposed to be like, all right, now this is how you go about right. you know, developing secure applications, or at least verifying that they're secure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree that the OWASP top 10 isn't supposed to be a a checklist of sorts. It's kind of the, uh, you know, bare minimum, like, you know, high level, like these are the, you have to at least look at these areas type of thing. But the ASVS versus the OS top 10, and uh, just from my perspective, like taking the checklist thing out of it, like the ASVS is, is not about vulnerabilities. It's about ways to, to have those Correct. vulnerabilities not manifest themselves. Correct. Right? Yeah. It's a more holistic approach looking at it's controls, whole, right? I mean, it's more of a list yeah. of controls, like a comp a very comprehensive list of controls in order to secure applications such that vulnerabilities that, you know, like the ones that are in OWASP top 10 don't, you know, manifest themselves in your app. Yeah. To me, and again, I, I actually went and looked. I don't know when the OWASP top 10 started. Uh, the, early one, the earliest one I could find was in 2010. But I looked at the I looked at the language, like, the way that they described the OS top 10, not even looking at like the, what the 10 were, but the way they described it. And it's slowly shifted over time. I mean, throughout, they've always said, you know, it's, it's a list of, wait, I'll bring it up. Cause I think this is important. They said it's a list. The goal of the top 10 is project is to raise awareness about application security by identifying some of the most, and this is the most important part, the most critical risks facing organizations. They don't specifically say vulnerabilities, but I mean, A, yeah, it's, it's certainly not meant to be ASVS, but I think that this flies kind of 
you know, in the face of, you know, this guy saying it was never intended as a security testing checklist. But I'll just throw out that I think that it not only was, but regardless of whether it was or not, it has always been used as a, not a comprehensive checklist. They always say that there's more than what's on here. This is literally, it's called the top 10 for a reason. It was always, I feel, meant to be, hey, you have limited time for AppSec. We understand this. But if you're going to focus on on certain things, start with these top 10 in this order because they're they're ordered in, you know, in a from a, a risk perspective. So I kind of think that it always has been, in, especially in the early days, it was focused more on individual vulnerabilities, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, I, yes, I my take on it is that yeah, I I do think that uh that was the viewpoint early on and I think over time it was seen that these applications just weren't really getting better. Uh, and a lot of it was due to security being an afterthought. And that's why I think they went down the path of creating these other um, frameworks or standards to and they get the message out there about, you know, threat modeling and getting the security mindset in there from the very beginning. So that, so I, I think their view on what the OWASP top 10 was contributing has morphed over time. Um, but I, I, I will say I'm a little surprised that uh, they actually did release a, a 2021 version, at least for peer review. Yeah, so I guess we could talk about, like, the, you know, why they decided to release a, a 2021 version. But I, I, I kind of want to, like, you know, continue this, this thread about, like, what the OWASP Top 10 is right like whether they want it to be this way or whether it's serving the purpose that they hoped it would serve to me the os top 10 has has always meant to be a list of 10 of the top vulnerabilities right like i feel like it's always been referred to like oh are you or like maybe this is like mistakenly so but people have always been like oh are you familiar with like os top 10 vulnerabilities like they kind of tack that on there Right. Even if yeah. it was never meant to be, it was more, you know, they say it, then they never use the word vulnerabilities. They always say risks, right. Which is kind of a more nebulous concept uh, yeah. or more like broader concept. Right. And I, I kind of think, I mean, I, I think you're right. They probably should have just like stopped with the whole OWASP top 10 thing and, and come out with something else. Um, like something more akin to like the critical security controls, like specific yeah. to AppSec. Right. And it seems like, that's and we can we can get into like the individual uh you know the go through the 10 here in a minute but like it seems like that's kind of where they're heading but i feel like they wanted to just like jam an entirely new concept under the guise of OWASP because it has this name right the the top 10 right because it has this recognition like people know people people interesting think, right so they're they're just like i feel like they're uh leveraging the fame and 
like in like industry-wide acceptance of the term OWASP top 10 and trying to turn it into something that it has never been and really shouldn't be. I feel like there's, I feel like there is room to, as they came out with ASVS, there's room to come up with a new thing, right? The OWASP critical security controls or whatever they want to call it. Right. With 10, like if you're going to do 10 things to improve your AppSec program, these are the 10 things. Yeah. It's interesting. So I think they came about this list in the same way they came out with, came up with the, like at least the last list, right? Which is uh, a bunch of finding data, either from pen tests performed by various organizations or um, basically um, reports from various breaches and use that to form the top 10, like what are the top 10 causes that essentially led to breach or the top 10 issues or vulnerabilities seen in applications. And I think the 2017 one was uh, mostly data from Veracode. Uh, I'm not sure where the data for the 2021 list came from and how exactly that. It's so I, I see it here. It's, so it's donated data. As I said. Yeah, for over 500,000 applications, they say, from a variety of Veracode-like AppSec vendors. Veracode being actually one of those. Um, but Okay, so they pretty much had the same process as right. the last one. Yeah, which is which, uh, which I'll actually come back to cause I, as we get into each of these, because I think that the nature of that being the source of this information and uh, you know where a lot of the influence comes from when developing this list kind of plays into some of these findings or one in particular which i'll talk about but let's let's talk about i kind of want to just like briefly walk through all 10 of these okay all right just like real briefly i mean some of the we can you know kind of belabor because there's one there's there's actually there's a couple that i specifically want to call out because okay. uh, some of these I'll, I'll just like kind of uh, preface this by saying some of these I think make sense in this list and it's like in at least my interpretation of the way that OWASP top 10 has always you know kind of been interpreted industry industry wide right um, mm-hmm. some of these have become far more vague and generic but still kind of represent in my mind, you know, a vulnerability while others have like gone completely, you know, abstract and like, you know, not, not vulnerabilities themselves, but more like the way they're trying to bucket things. Yeah. Yeah. But, but okay, let's start with, let's start with like broken access control, right? So broken access control is one of these uh, classifying it as like, not, I mean, it's obviously, uh, uh, a class of vulnerabilities and yeah. maybe not even, maybe even a higher level than that. It's, you know, I guess a weakness, right? I mean, like if you, if you come in here and look at, like, I have, I have one thing open that like kind of explains each of these new ones and associated with this particular OWASP top 10, right? This is the number one thing. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's gotta be 
almost 30, 40 CWEs mapped to this one OAuth finding, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, my guess for why it became number one is because of OAuth. Right? You, I mean, OAuth is not simple to implement. You, you have a lot of organizations and applications that are trying to adopt the use of OAuth and kind of failing at it. And I think that's also something that's not very um, commonly tested by a lot of pen testers. They'll kind of skip that portion. And once they're in that, they'll you know, look for like the you know, usual things like injection, cross-site scripting, things of that nature. So, you know, a lot of flaws are like one of the first things I look for when assessing an app because I know it's often overlooked. And then you have people that use OAuth that which is meant for initially like as an authorization mechanism, which was later adjusted to support authentication with Pixie, but you know kind of missed that Pixie part and will uh, just use that authorization mechanism as an authentication mechanism, which doesn't work. Um, and there are various other aspects too that are usually missed, like access token lifetimes and and HMAX with uh, weak secrets. Um, but yeah, I, I think it deserves that number one spot. I, I, I agree. And I mean, I agree with everything you said in terms of... Uh you know, it being, I mean, not entirely like a new concept uh, for applications, but like one that does not get the security attention that you, as you've said, like the traditional findings, you know, you know, XSS and, and injection flaws and that sort of thing, because, you know, scanners have for a long time been able to really hunt those things down. So like, you know, a lot of a lot of you see a lot of pen testers kind of rely on those kind of handicap on those so i i totally yeah. get that but like looking looking here and i'll you know i'll just admit like looking here at some of the uh i guess the inspiration for why this particular or you know i guess some of the prevention mechanisms and attack scenarios uh, related to this particular control it mentions things like uh cores it mentions things like apis it mentions mm. things like JWT tokens. And so you start to think about the way that modern applications are built, right? It's a lot of, uh, you know, service oriented architectures. It's a lot of you know, like microservices based architectures. So it's, you know, leveraging things like obviously OAuth, as you mentioned, to, you know, to pass these identities and perform, you know, authenticate, you know, auth and auth Z, right? So, yeah. You know, with the advent of these, you know, whatever you want to call it, Web 2.0, Web 3.0, whatever they call it these days, like these API-driven architectures for for applications, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes total sense. Like, there's a lot of access control-related flaws introduced into these systems because they've got like this soup of APIs trying to talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, through all these different systems, and maybe they have different you know, different authorization mechanisms trying to like work in tandem, it, you know, it just becomes kind of a mess. So, uh, 
I mean, totally agree. I could see why this, uh, I mean, from our own experience, we understand that these flaws exist in abundance, but I can, you know, extrapolating that to like what Veracode sees or what HCL sees, like they're definitely probably seeing, you know, we see a micro, like a, a microcosm of like what, you know, what exists in the world, but. Yeah, it looks like it, like a high percentage of the issues we see kind of fall in that category. So I don't know. I, I would think that the, the percentage or the breakdown that the industry sees wouldn't be too far from that. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing I'll say, because I think this is a theme throughout this particular conversation, is that you know, in the spirit of the way that OWASP describes what the OWASP top 10 is, they, you know, it's not about what is the most, like necessarily what the most prevalent findings are, but what the highest risks are, right? And so it's a, it's a combination of not only the inherent risk of a particular finding, but also how prevalent it is, right? So I think in this case, it not only introduces serious risk, in many cases, uh, you know, as you see things that, oh, oh, what was the thing today? Or like yesterday I saw, uh, is it the, oh my God, did you see the, oh my God. Oh yeah. It's like, <laughs> Azure, yeah. You, you remove the, <laughs> you remove the authorization header and it's just like, you're root now. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. It's really bad. But yeah. you know what the funniest thing, there was this, there was like in the, in my normal, like going through feeds, I saw in the like netsec or cybersecurity subreddit like the post about oh my god from wizio and mm -hmm. i saw this guy this guy responded he was like the only commenter in this this like particular thread he was like he was like wow like that that's some galen urso type shit right there <laughs> which i i like i laughed for like no joke like 10 minutes because it was like such a dorky like like, like, you know, I mean, you get the reference, like, in terms of, like, introducing such a critical flaw into a system like the Death Star, right? Such that you can yeah. take the whole thing down and such, like, an, like such a, I mean, in this case, this was, like, far more trivial than, you know, what Luke Skywalker did, of course. But, like, the, like that, like, I'm going to use that, that, like, anytime I see, like, a ridiculously w easy way to, like, take down an entire system, I'm going to call it... That's some Galen or so level shit right there. Uh, I thought that was really funny, but yeah. um, I don't know how we got on that. Hey, one of the uh, apps that I am currently testing is actually uh, running in Azure. Yeah, so are you gonna so... use some some O days and they're dropping like <laughs> dropping all over the place. Because there was the know, other we'll one see. too, Chaos DB. I don't know how it applies, but that was also, I think, Azure related. Uh, but anyways, so let's look at the second one. The second one's very similar in like the, the class that I put it in, as uh, you know, related to broken access control. So cryptographic failures. So similar, like I think, like I would say, this is a vulnerability, right? It's a, I mean, it it encompasses a number of different vulnerabilities, but I still think. And, and it's the spirit of it is this is this is a vulnerability like you could have it like in a pen test report if you had several findings in the cryptographic area you would you maybe you have like a you know you you map them all up to crypt cryptographic failure things right yeah but you know i 
I'm not completely sure I agree with turning sensitive data exposure into cryptographic failures. Well, that's true because, I mean, it being like, I, I guess, I mean, there's some nuance there, but I mean, is it a, is it a failure of the cryptography if you like didn't use cryptography or like, I mean, there's a number of different ways that data can be, you know, sensitive data can be exposed, right? It could be that it is being encrypted, the you know, perfectly fine, but it's, you yeah. know, there's, in this case, maybe it's an access control issue. Yeah. So maybe for all other types of sensitive data exposure, there's another area that it will fit into if it's not a cryptographic failure. I mean, certainly something like sensitive data exposure is such a vague thing and can manifest itself for a number of different reasons. It could be because of a failure in cryptography. It could also be because of access control. It could also be because of whatever else, right? So I don't, I don't think yeah. that sensitive data, data exposure should necessarily be tied, right? I think that's what you're saying, right? Not direct, like... Yeah, and I think they went about kind of getting rid of that itself as a category and turning it into cryptographic failures to kind of get closer to what they meant by sensitive data exposure. But I feel like sensitive yeah. data exposure was used in many ways that had nothing to do with, you know, it's like the server header, right? Yeah. And that wasn't the intent of OWASP. I'm pretty sure I read like posts from them or seen various talks where they've specifically mentioned that their intent behind sensitive data exposure was true sensitive data such as secrets, um, uh, like PHI, mm. uh, like socials, what have you, but not um, stuff like a full stack trace. Yeah, I've seen being returned. Right, which is typically labeled as like information disclosure, but I think a lot of people you see like also kind of refer to, the, to that as sensitive data exposure because that's a super vague yeah. term, super it's very ambiguous, right? Yeah. Um but let's talk about like just I mean quickly, right? Like it's ranking here as number 2. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. So there is an aspect that kind of ties back to something you'll see in relation to broken access control, which is the JSON web tokens that are issued as part of the OAuth flow. You can have either signed or encrypted uh, JSON web tokens, and at times those tokens have sensitive claims that that will result in uh, sensitive data exposure and they should either not be included as a claim or the token itself should be encrypted um, and so in, in those cases uh, it would be a cryptographic failure and you know, maybe there's a lot of that going on I mean I've seen cases of it uh, it hasn't been prevalent but at least 
from what I've seen, but yeah, that's interesting. That's a contributor. I think that's definitely a contributor. Um, the other thing I was thinking of is, you know, the last one came out in 2017. So you got to think this is potentially data that was collected over the last four years. And there was a certain period of time, maybe it happened in the last four years, maybe it was prior. Um, but just thinking back to, there was a time where like, I remember like open SSL was like getting completely ripped apart and not like all, there was a ton of like named high profile vulnerabilities coming out about like SSL downgrade. You know, this is like, I mean, way after Poodle, of course, but like there was a number of things, right? And, and now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, I feel like they happened maybe prior to 2017, but maybe some of them came out, you know, right at the start of 2017. Yeah, and I think you do probably still often see like, poor implementations of any sort of encryption in databases. I'm sure there are cases where there are database implementations where they have full disk encryption, but you know, the database itself isn't really encrypted at runtime at all. Um, or you have like, transparent data encryption, but really the model you have for your application calls for column encryption. And... Yeah, that's that's true. So and the so the other one that I was just thinking of is I mean think about the like the pace at which like data breaches have been not only occurring but also reported on. Right. Yeah. And typically, and a lot of what you see from these data breaches is not only the data itself, which whatever may or may not be encrypted, but also the dumps of these, you know, passwords, right? Whether they're unencrypted or whether they're, you know, they're hashed, but they're being, they're being cracked like offline. So I could see why, you know, that results just the sheer nature of all this like data being exfilled out, right? In a way that is yeah. abusable because it's, plain text or or it can be cracked also lends itself to why maybe it, this is showing up as number two on the list yeah 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 i can definitely see i can i can definitely see why it would be up there all right so i won't challenge so one and two one and two i think we're fine with so far yeah if it matters no like, i don't think anyone really cares about what i think about the os top 10 <laughs> but like here we go well, the mics approve. The mics approve, and if yeah, yeah. If you have two mics approved. If you have two mics, it's in, something. In our experience, to be fair, if the two of us are in agreement about something, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to challenge it. Uh, all right, moving strongly into number three here, uh, injection. So th I mean, this is uh, this is uh, you know something that's been around for a while in terms of a wasp. Um, you know, it's a, a class of similar findings, uh, not much to really discuss here. I think, uh, other than the fact that, you know, it's interesting and awesome in some ways for pen testers that this is still as prevalent as it is. Um, obviously the risk is the same as it always has been, which is to say you can get a lot of, you know, awesome things, right. Data exfil, right. At a minimum, but all, but you know, command execution, arbitrary codex right so yeah and it's nice to see that it's you know dropped down to number three um yeah i, I wonder if there if there will be a, a point in time where it drops down even further maybe a, a 2024 release well if if it makes you feel better cross-site scripting uh which 
was only number seven in the 2017 list is now vanished in 2021. So not that I don't still find XSS all the time. Uh, and maybe we're just at a point where things are like security is so much scarier that even XSS does can't make the top 10 because there's, there's 10 scarier things. But um, I think it's, I mean, if maybe you can take that as a, a positive note as, you know, if we can solve XSS, which is very similar in a lot of ways to these injection flaws, uh, we can solve injection. Yeah, which like it was with 2021, it was bucketed into injection, That's right? True. That's true. Um, and yeah, I mean, modern frameworks are giving you kind of access uh, protection out of the box, making it a uh, a little more difficult for developers to accidentally introduce access. Um, you're slowly seeing uptick in use of uh, CSPs. Um, you have browser-based protections now that are uh, starting to help out a bit. Um, yeah, I think. Although that shouldn't be relied upon, but. Yeah, I do think there's a lot of like modern frameworks everything from you know no sequel to you know single page like angular and frameworks like that that have introduced new interpretive context to introduce like injection flaws so like you know 10 years ago was there like a concept of like server side template injection you know and think or client side template inje like or you know the things that you see with like MongoDB, right? So I feel like yeah. we're the the strides that were made to like limit like older injection flaws, like like traditional SQLi or traditional XSS, like maybe like we've gotten those down to some degree, but we've introduced new ways to do injection and haven't learned from, I guess collectively haven't learned from the mistakes of your and now we have, you know, the same types of injection, right? We're still not doing input validation the way we need to, right? We're still not doing, you know, whatever, you know, properly scoping, you know, those backends, right? So these things still keep happening, um, but just in, you know, I, I won't even call it newer, newer paradigms. It's like just new frameworks yeah. that, that introduce injection flaws. Definitely. All right. This is the this is the one. This is the one I really want to tear apart. Number four. This is this is this is the entire reason for this podcast. We're an hour and ten minutes in, and the only thing I really wanted to do in this podcast was rip this thing apart. <laughs> All right. So the number four OWASP top ten twenty twenty one. Insecure design. All right. And and I just want to read off really quick. I'm just gonna like rapid fire read. How to prevent? Okay. How to prevent insecure design? Oh, uh, you know, whatever they want to call us, risk. I guess they refer to these things as risks. So, how to prevent? Establish and use a, a secure development lifecycle with AppSec professionals to help evaluate and design security and privacy-related controls. That's number one. Number two, establish and use a, a library of secure design patterns. Number three, use threat modeling. Number four, write unit and integration tests to validate all critical flows. I I, I uh, chopped off some of the ends of those, but those those are essentially the four 
and there's a number of i mean there's like i mean 40 or so cwes associated with this but like those prevention mechanisms give you an idea of like what this is exactly yeah so let me just start by saying insecure design it's not a vulnerability nor no. is it a class of vulnerabilities in the same way that broken access control is it's literally just saying you didn't do your app right yeah like this can mean this could literally mean insecure design can mean anything it's like the way to prevent insecure design is use a have a secure development life cycle with appsec like get like go get appsec professionals so what do you think was in the <clears throat> data that they reviewed or come through to come through come up with this list we didn't what findings were in there that would tie to insecure design so we didn't we didn't like uh practice this particular conversation at all this is all right off the cuff but i'll tell you my thoughts on what happened here so if you go mm -hmm. back to the draft for peer review and you scroll down to thank you to our data contributors and you look at the three, four, eight, 12 contributors here. All right, you've got Veracode and HCL and HackerOne and Cobalt.io and AppSec Labs and Contrast Security. There's a lot of like consulting uh, vendors yeah. here, right? So I think it's very much in their interest to have a finding that says you need to go hire AppSec professionals. This is a very jaded like kind of look at this, but like this looks like saying hey like come hire Veracode and we'll help you with OWASP the number four on o the OWASP top 10 like this is not this is not a this is like a catch-all like BS thing like very nebulous like abstract thing that says that vulnerability or that weakness in your app manifested itself because you didn't have somebody who was threat modeling you that's not a vulnerability yeah. that's not a thing you can't tie like you can tie like if you were doing a, a a vulnerability mapping like if you did a pen test right and you mm -hmm. had 30 findings and you were trying and and you were asked as part of your like appendix to that to map all the findings to OS top 10 you would map each one to this wouldn't you yeah yeah and so like i don't get like how do you how do you rank this as number four i yeah i mean <laughs> i mean so, I, it, of course it's it's somewhat I mean, I guess some of this is backed by data, right? They say it, it's supposed to be yeah. five hundred thousand applications, right? And they're looking at the risk and the prevalence, right? Or, I mean, I'm so, but this, yeah, I mean, I think this is, and and so I don't think this is like finalized. It's a draft for peer review. I don't know who's yeah. peer reviewing it. Like more of the same, maybe. It's not me. Like I'm not. I mean, I mean, doing, I'm sure OWASP is going to listen to this podcast, but. I wonder if they'll accept uh, anonymous feedback. Yeah, I have some. Or just feedback from the general InfoSec community. I think so. But I don't know the forum for by which they, you know, the medium in which they're accepting that feedback. But I think that this... This at OWASP. Yeah, I'll just, yeah, yeah. I have my OWASP hat somewhere. I'll put that on. You know, I think, I, I just, I think this is bad. I think this is a bad, I think this is in bad form. I feel like this insecure design... Like this is what they should have taken here. Like this is, I mean, what are they saying here? Like 
like this is like like instead of all these how to prevent they should have just said like reference asvs yeah exactly lack of using asvs yeah right i mean yeah i yeah it's all like i you know i hope that it gets dropped before it's finalized because it, it definitely doesn't make sense in the OWASP top 10. But, you know, maybe they will, because like, all right, now they don't have 10 anymore, right? When they drop it. So like, now it's going to be. Well, there's more vulnerabilities. The They'll scoot one. 11 up. Yeah. I wonder what 11 is. I, I am very curious. I really wish they would publish like 11. Like what didn't make it? Like what barely, what like almost, I want the OWASP yeah. top 11. I'll tweet that at them. But like some of these, like like if you look at the CWE mapping, it's like they like whoever did this, like even the person who agrees mm-hmm. with this must have a really hard time with this like mapping of the CWEs because like did they map any? Yeah, there's a ton of them mapped. Like things like incorrect privilege assignment, uh, missing encryption. Missing encryption is assigned to this. Like wouldn't that be assigned to cryptographic failure? Like I, yeah, I, I understand that there's going to be some overlap here, but that one is clearly like like well in the cryptographic failure arena like it shouldn't you know like i feel like this is this is you know this doesn't belong here yeah the insecure design manifests itself right or is is the root cause of a lot of these findings right yeah i feel like this you know it's not i mean we can say it a million times it's not it's not good it's not it doesn't belong in this list to me yeah which again, I'll go back to like you know I think that's why you know they develop things like the ASVS, and you know maybe this is I'll you know take a different stance like maybe it's not pointing people to the vendors saying hey you need these consultants to help you with your appsec practice but and maybe it's like hey like we have all these other resources you know take it from the ground up look at these resources I don't think this is the right way to point people to it but. Look, we're both AppSec professionals, right? I'm all for AppSec having, you know, becoming better. And I'm all for, like, yeah. me staying employed, gainfully employed. So, like, from that, from that like, perspective, like, cool that this is here, that they're saying, like, you need to hire more AppSec people. Like, that should just be, like, <laughs> not enough. They should change insecure design to, like, not enough, like, security budget. Which I think is like one of the. I was just uh, thinking that. Yeah. That's literally the the joke. Oh, us top ten number one insufficient security funding. That's what they should just yeah. put here. It should insufficient security funding. That actually makes more sense. I actually, I would yeah. actually say that's more of a vulnerability. In a, they should in just a make that number one. Yeah, number number one. Not enough security funding. All right, we'll come up with our own. I'm gonna come up with the the shell sharks. Oh, top ten. The shell sharks top ten. All right, security misconfiguration. Not as much to say here. Other than, yeah, you see it all the time, it, right? Yeah, it moved up a spot. Yeah, I mean, you kind of feel good for security misconfigurations. <laughs> it's literally moving up in the yeah. world. Well, I mean, when you went from a lot of people being still being on prem to now adoption of AWS and GCP and Azure, and there is a huge configuration component component to uh, be mindful of. Well, yeah, everything's on the service. I can definitely see days, why. Yeah. yeah. I can see why I would move up there. Plus, you know, in in our line of work, looking at a lot of 
you know, a, like a ridiculous amount of different, you know, services and platforms and frameworks and pieces of software that we understand, you know, not that we didn't understand before, but we have a kind of firsthand exposure to the extreme number of different, like the attack surface that's introduced into it, you know, organizations in terms of the amount of software that they use to, to like yeah. run modern business. Right. And a lot of those, that software comes with, you know, functionality in mind, right. They yeah. have the, like, you can knock it down, but that's, you have to do it yourself. It's opt in, right. You yeah. uh, you're opting in to, to a secure config. They're not, they're not, they don't ship it to you saying, Hey, this thing's locked down. You can, you can, you know, increase functionality by toggling some things off if you want. Yeah. So yeah, totally get why that, that exists. And I think it makes sense. I think I, you know, this one, I don't have, a, I don't have a problem with. Right. Yeah. But it is sad that like secure by default is a more common practice. Yeah. But you know, these companies don't get, you know, it makes sense. They don't get paid for shipping secure stuff. They get paid for bells and whistles. Yeah. Don't rapid adoption. Um, so let's see. Number six. Very. I guess I would say this is kind of similar to the last one in that it makes sense why it's on here. I, you know, but I'll say it's not. This isn't a vulnerability in itself. This could mean a lot of things. Vulnerable, vulnerable and outdated yeah, yeah, components. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, so number six, twenty twenty one, vulnerable yeah. and outdated components. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that it, it moved up in the list. Um, you would think that through, you know, you think that you know, vulnerability management practices and you know use of SCA uh, would have increased over time. But the interesting thing about this finding, I first said I was fine with it, but I'm actually not fine with it. And I'll tell you why. Why? Yeah, curious. And I'm saying this in the context that if you're coming up with a list of 10 findings or 10 vulnerabilities, which again mm -hmm. is, again, they don't ever say vulnerabilities, they say risks. But the vulnerability so so this so vulnerable and outdated components means you know let's say you're using jquery right and that's yeah. it's outdated you know version of jquery the vulnerability in jquery is one of these other things the vulnerability is is xss the vulnerability is broken access control the vulnerability is you know the vulner you know when you when you you know go that layer deep and you look at what's in that component it's one of these other things yeah, you know. Well, it's... I kind of, I kind of see. the The way I see it is, if it's introduced through uh, an open source library or basically any sort of third party component that you've added in, it's in that bucket. Um, otherwise, it falls into any of the other buckets that make more sense. Yeah, I guess, you know, I I think it's fine in here, and I understand the distinction because you know. In many cases, you don't have the the ability in the same way to like rip apart these open source libraries in the same way, and, and, and nor do you have to because yeah. it's being done 
uh, you know, because it's open source, it's being done by a lot of other people. So you don't really need that. You just understand that there's an outdated version and you understand there's a CVE attached to it. You don't need to go in there and perform code review to see if there's injection flaws because you know yeah. from other people having done it. So well, yeah. my problem you is like update or move to something else that will provide the functionality you're looking for and fortunately refactor a bunch of your code or rewrite it completely. But ultimately but, yeah. the finding remains the same in the end, which is what were the, what were the vulnerabilities that were manifesting themselves in those third party apps, right? They were cross-site scripting. They were SQL, they were injection. They were cryptographic failures, right? So yeah, I think that this it, is like a play. This is like, I get, like, I, I think it does belong here in the fact that, you know, if you are running an AppSec program, you're not, you're like, what you're looking for is doing that software composition analysis, right? That's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You're not supposed to be p yeah. pulling these things, like pulling these things apart in the same way you pull apart your own custom code. You just, you should just yeah. be leveraging the tool that can quickly tell you whether there's a vulnerability in there. Right. Yeah. But from like a purely like what is the vulnerability like like building this list as a list of vulnerabilities, like it, I don't think it really belongs there. I'll, I'll just say that. So, so let's say like you're like using this list as a way to kind of drive the types of vulnerabilities you're scanning your application for through you know static data analysis, maybe through print tests, what have you. The way if if you didn't have outdated vulnerable and outdated components in there is the assumption that they're going to be scanning their third-party libraries the same way they're scanning the code that they wrote themselves no so from a from a checklist perspective in terms of i like i guess the explanation of like where the risks are, which is kind of what OWASP is rather than a list of vulnerabilities. I do think it makes yeah. sense. So I'm kind of like, I'm trying to turn, I'm trying to turn it into something it's not, but I'll say in the way that it, as it maps to some of these others as like vulnerability classes, it just doesn't make sense there, but it is at the end of the day, a list of risks. So I do yeah. think it makes I, sense there. I'm like kind of arguing against, I'm like kind of like being devil's advocate against myself. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I like that it's there. Kind of supposed surprised and not surprised. It's like where it is in the list. But you should um, be looking for it, right? I mean, from a, from a, like, you know, you do, you, you're doing pen tests now. You've been doing pen testing for a long time. You're looking at, right. You're, uh, one of your steps is to identify third-party components, right, and open source libraries yeah. and anything else that's being brought in and doing version checks and at a minimum saying it's out of date, but more likely also going in and looking at some CVs associated with that particular version and saying, hey, this thing can happen yeah. because the way that this particular library is being used. Yeah. So if it was up to me, I would still leave it in there. Uh, despite its its somewhat difference in nature. Uh, so, all right. Identification auth failures. Again, this is kind of a, you know, and they say this, or at least the NetSpark article does, but, like, they've purposefully gone 
a little bit and I guess broken auth was in there before but now they've just thrown in identification but like a lot of these are like much more vague in nature to like you know kind of mush a bunch of related things you know under the same yeah. umbrella I like MFA the MFA one I think like that's like a big reason why this is in here mm, that makes sense there's surprisingly still low adoption of of MFA and credential stuffing right I mentioned data breaches so I feel like a lot of this is like influenced by you know database you know the data breaches the you know move to you know this remote kind of envi uh, remote work environment like even like weekly hashed passwords you know that's kind of reflects in like data breaches credential stuffing which is directly from data breaches yeah you know brute force right all these external facing everything right because everyone tries to you know Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of the, looking at these like breach reports, a lot of these things have been, you know, related to this exact it's, finding. Yeah, it's interesting dropping from number two to number seven. Yeah, that's, I guess when you look at this little map here, it's like the biggest fall from grace, if you will. Yeah. Even over like vulnerable and outdated components, which is interesting. The vulnerable outdated comp well, that's like a that's like kind of you know with this emphasis on supply chain security these days, can I kind of understand why that's you know get some extra emphasis, if you will. Hmm. But anyways, nothing much to talk about there. Uh, I think it's a good one. Yeah. Let's see. Software and data integrity failures. This one also I think is pretty uh, solar winds and supply chain security inspired. It's interesting. Um, so that was insecure decentralization in the last one, right? They just renamed it. Like looking at the. Uh, the chart they have on the top yeah. of the site. Yeah, so th th it's a dotted line, which makes me think that it's just it's they haven't renamed they haven't renamed it. Rather, they put deserialization in there. Ah, uh, okay. So now it they've they've made it more broad and shoved deserialization in there. But even that, I mean, is that really interesting? A data integrity failure? I don't think so. I mean, maybe there's some deserialization flaws that are that occur because you know a compromise of integrity, but yeah. deserialization is not. It's like some deserialization flaws might be integrity specific, but not all of them are. So I, I don't think I would bucket this underneath software, and, and, but it also says software and data integrity failures. So this could just mean software failures, which I also think is stupid and vague. It is very vague. All of these things are software failures. The OWASP, it's literally, you could call it the OWASP top 10 software failures, which is actually, I feel like there should be like a, 
Oh, you know what? You, you're familiar with, obviously, the uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. I feel like there should mm-hmm. be, like, America's Funniest Home Videos for, like, <laughs> apps. Funniest like, software failures. Software failures. Like, it's just, like, videos of people, like, <laughs> like doing stupid exploits and, like, it, you know, like, the oh, my God thing where you get, like. I'd watch that. <laughs> I feel like anyone anyone who's gotten to this point. If there's like the three people who've gotten to this point listening to this podcast, uh, we'll probably enjoy that. So I, I, so I like reading the description they have, and okay, I can kind of see what they meant for that bucket to be. Um, it's a new category for 2021, focusing on making assumptions related to software updates, critical data, and CI/CD pipelines without verifying integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally scenario three in their example attack scenarios is the SolarWinds malicious update and update yeah. without signing. So like these are, this is like, so SolarWinds came out and they're like, you need to be verifying the integrity of your, you know, the entire chain of your software build pipeline. You need to be verifying integrity of your, you know, the components that you're auto, you know, bringing into your particular software environment. So, I mean, this seems like very supply chain oriented. And yeah. certainly inspired by solar winds. So hard Sounds... to argue against that. Though I do, I would, I would say, I would just call this. Well, I guess it it says software and data integrity failures. So maybe they mean software integrity failures, not software failures. Yeah. Something. Okay. So that's fair. Uh, number nine here: security logging and monitoring failures. So. This is another. This is one. This is, I think, the other one I have the biggest problem with, beyond the insecure design. I don't think this. This is not. I don't think this is a vulnerability. Yeah. Right. It's not. I mean, this isn't a vulnerability. I, do I think it's important? Do I think it's like a defense in depth thing that you should certainly have because you can't prevent, maybe all things, but even at a minimum, you can catch a lot of things through this. But it's not a vulnerability. Yeah, but I can see, I can see them having actual data to help rank this to some extent with the rest, right? Going by uh, dwell time for breaches from like incident to like incident, like actual detection of the incident. Yeah. And I guess like, I mean, think about it in like a brute force attack, right? The brute force attack is possible for a lot of reasons that are not this, that are not security logging and monitoring. But security logging and monitoring can help you catch, right, and respond to that style of attack before they're able to be successful. Yeah. Right? But the the control, the actual vulnerability is not this, right? This is just an additional measure that can, you know, that you know, can help you with certain things. I don't, I don't think this, I find this one questionable. I question this one. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that this one is also kind of the odd one out along with, or the odd two out would be this one and the insecure design. But I like the, the interesting thing about this one. Hold on. Do I have, I do have the ASVSL. 
the interesting thing about this one is this is basically just like an ASVS control failure, right? Like for everything yeah. in ASVS, you could say session management failure, right? Access control failure, stored cryptography failure, right? Error handling failure. Yeah. It's like, you know, that that the vulnerable like the the failure of a control or the lack of that control, right, isn't the vulnerability, right? The control is how you prevent certain vulnerabilities. You know what I mean? So I feel like this is yeah. just like kind of lazy way of just being like, you didn't have this control. I don't know. You know, if they keep the insecure design uh, item, I think they should just bucket this under there. Well, there's an idea. And then, then that number 11 can... Rise. Yeah, we're still making we're still making way for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna talk about eleven here right after we get past number ten. Number ten of all of these, uh, number ten is the real true OWASP top ten for me. It's like an actual <laughs> specific vulnerability. It's not a class of vulnerabilities. It's not a bunch of things. It's just like SSRF is the real. When you think about it, it's number ten on this list, but it's the real badass. It's like I'm yeah. so good. Oh. I I made my I'm I'm you know it's like a solo act. Thank you, AWS. Yeah, thanks, AWS. <laughs> you know, the real reason. Yeah, poor Cap One. I feel like they should just wait in the in the attack. There's attack scenarios. Is it Cap One? I would love them to call it Cap One. No offense to any Cap One people, <laughs> but they don't say Cap One. But um, oh, access. Uh, they oh, they do it. Scenario number three: access metadata storage of cloud services. They don't. They don't particularly call it Cap One, but that's that's what that is. Um, funny, but yeah, I mean, this one, this one's, this one's, this one's my favorite. Why does that have a start? So asterisk from the survey. Hmm. What does that mean? What does from the survey mean? So sorry if it's added from the industry survey number one or maybe there was like rather than the data they sent out a survey about what do you think the top vulnerabilities are i'm just i'm just guessing it's possible right they right this this data was provided by 12 uh you know security vendors but they also sent out a survey to maybe hundreds of you know you know OWASP members Right, or member organizations and you know came up with these final two based on that the results of that survey yeah. i don't actually know so maybe an item for follow-up oh okay so they have this like faq thing so one of the questions why not just pure statistical data and they essentially say right, the results of the data are primarily limited to what can, what we can test for in an automated fashion, blah, blah, blah. Um, talk to a seasoned AppSec professional and they'll tell you about stuff they find in TransAC, blah, blah, blah. So only eight out of the 10 are statistical and the other two are based on survey data. Fair enough. So what was the other one that was based on survey data? The oh. Security logging. 
The security logging. Okay. So we can blame the survey, the survey gotcha. people for that. I didn't fill that survey out. So. All right. So we went through all ten, which I'm sure was fascinating for everybody. No, but this is the real mm -hmm. thing. All right. You've seen the ten. What's your number eleven? All right. They make you the king of OWASP number eleven. Oh man. What do you? What do you doesn't have to be right. Wrong answers only. No, like what would you what would you what would you throw in here? Number eleven. I feel like I feel like let's look at let's look at previous OWASP top tens to see what's what's been left out. I saw I know C Surf doesn't get called out specifically here. Maybe it falls into another bucket somehow. I think the beauty of this list is like it incorporates all vulnerabilities somehow. So like nothing's left out. Uh but maybe there's particular class of vulnerability that is there must be something that's left out i mean so if surf was on here would it fall neatly into one of those other than insecure design maybe like broken access control i don't know authentication failure <laughs> i mean it is kind of yeah I guess maybe access control because it's kind of an authorization failure more than anything else. Yeah, um, I kind of like see it as part of like session management in general, right? It's... Yeah. Hmm. All right. Nothing from nothing from twenty. What is this? Twenty ten. Two thousand seven. I wonder when the first one was. What was the first? Unvalidated redirects. Oh man. That was number ten in twenty ten. So. Interesting. Maybe that is number eleven. Maybe that's maybe that's number eleven right there. Poor, poor. <laughs> because that definitely is still an issue. Yeah. No. I mean, it hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, it's just been floating at number eleven for years now. Actually, no. It was it was number. It also was number ten in twenty thirteen. Huh. Poor, unvalid. So that's funny. Like it just gets bumped out, and it's it's been sitting at eleven for years now. Yeah, which is kind of hilarious. Maybe that's the reason why it hasn't gone anywhere because it hasn't been getting the <laughs> the attention. Like people deserves. didn't see it on the OS top ten, so they just stopped checking for it. Oh, how sad would that maybe, be? Maybe that's what we'll see. Maybe that'll be number eleven, and if they clean this up a little bit, maybe that'll be number ten soon. That would be really funny to see. Like they take out insecure design because it doesn't belong there, and all of a sudden. Invalid, yeah, the uh, redirects comes back from the dead. I can definitely see that happening. Yeah, they didn't bucket anything from 2017 into 2021's insecure design, so everything still has a home. Yeah. You know, it's weird. So I, I totally get the bucketing they did so xss they shoved into injection which i've kind of been a, a, a proponent of for for a long time i always thought how was it not injection i yeah, guess it was so sense. prevalent that they were like we need to have it have its own thing it was like xss has its own thing and then all the other injections can be a separate thing yeah uh but this is it but they put xxe into security misconfiguration you know well I think that makes sense because like with external entities, like that's a, 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 I mean, historically that was like insecure by default, right? Like 
old like versions of .NET, for example, like external energies was like supported out of the box, and now like with .NET Core, you have to go out of your way to open that up. Yeah. The thing about security misconfiguration is just it's so vague. So it kind of, you know, it helps bucket a bunch of things, but in other ways, it lessens the emphasis on, you know, maybe certain category, certain particular vulnerabilities that are of higher risk. But I don't know. Maybe it, maybe yeah. it does, maybe it does what it's trying to do. I don't know. But in general, I don't understand why people still use XML. Uh, I feel like it's probably. I mean, do you see that a lot in modern apps? I feel like it's probably just like legacy things. I mean, there's a lot of legacy yeah. apps. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you see it like in things like SAML for up. I mean, obvious reasons. It's just been there for so long. But yeah, you actually still see it used in uh, in certain modern apps, and I and it confuses me why. Especially when they're use cases where you can just use JSON. Like, why not just use JSON? Baffles me. There's, there's a. But there's probably something simple on this thing. There's a, there's an idea for for the next show, just ranting about XML and why you should use JSON instead. <laughs> so, anyways, I guess at the end of this, you know, coming into this, I really wanted to shred this completely but really i only really have a, a major issue with that insecure design one it's kind of silly it, it, it does feel like they just like threw it in there and hoped it would stick i do think the OWASP top end though could it go back to like uh, what we were talking about initially though is like too popular to go away like you like you yeah. had mentioned that you thought they were getting rid of it in favor of asvs because it's more like holistic like you know, approach to developing an AppSec, not program, but like an approach to securing apps like comprehensively versus this. But I feel like OS Top yeah. 10 is just like, it can't go away. Like, have you ever, have you ever gone to, like, I feel like there are millions of interviews. Or they're still referencing, yeah. Around the country and every single one mentions OS Top 10. Are you familiar with OS Top 10? And then where they talk about, vulnerabilities that have traditionally always been in the OWASP top 10, right? Yeah. They're not asking you like, like, tell me about some cryptographic failures you're familiar with, right? <laughs> they're, they're asking you about, you know, SQL I, CSRF. Yeah. So, so I guess there was likely like a sense of responsibility to have to maintain the list. Because otherwise people keep referencing whatever the latest one was, which was at this point four years old. So yeah, whether it's in the original spirit of the OS top 10 or not, I feel like they're trying to like modernize people's perspectives on, you know, what the real like the you know real risks to web applications are in such a way that you know to be as vague as they can it seems while also keeping you know the OAuth top 10 alive yeah makes sense hopefully uh hopefully we see insecure design go away before the final
I mean, did you know it was in development? I didn't. I don't even know when I first learned about it. I think it was like something on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh, cool, 2021." And then I looked at it, yeah. and I was like, "Eh." I like really like back in my day. I really had like a back in my day moment. I was like, "Back in my day," <laughs> like cross-site scripting was its own thing. <laughs> I really like had a boomer. <laughs> I was like, "What is this? A new old oh, I feel like more and more these days, I'm like, uh, like a crotchety old man like yeah like on my you know get off my lawn like insecure designs yeah. 